Hey everyone, welcome back to the Resilient Christian Podcast. I'm Aaron, your host, and thanks for listening. On February 20th, 2022, we'll be launching our new church, Friends Church Eastvale. And I want to thank you all for your prayers and your support and your excitement for this new church plant. It's been 15 months of planning and a lot of prayer. And one of the greatest parts of the process has been the excitement that people have for this new church. It's actually been very healing to me personally to see so many people give, pray, join, and go with us. I've been humbled by the sheer hope people have in the local church still today. I want to invite you as well, if you're in the area, to come join us to our launch Sunday on February 20th, 2022 at 10 a.m. at Silver Lakes in Eastville, California. I'll put the info in the show notes. But amidst all the hope, I've also experienced a great deal of fatigue and apathy among people. And it's made me wonder, how do I, as a pastor and Christian leader, and as a Christian in general, help people love the church? Pastor Andy Stanley explains that the origin of our English word church comes from a German word named Kirche. The word Kirche means a literal house of worship. But the Greek word to describe Jesus' gatherings in the Bible is ekklesia, and means something very different. Ecclesia means an assembly and was used to refer to meetings that had a purpose and a mission. It didn't refer to a physical building, but referred to the literal gathering of people with a mission in mind. When Jesus said he would build his church, it meant that Jesus would build a gathering of people who had his mission in mind. Jesus was the mission. But over time, the later meeting of Kircha took its place, and what's left has been a focus on the physical buildings and programs rather than loving people and the mission of Jesus. The main issue is this. You can lock the doors of a kircha, but not so with Jesus' ecclesia. Today, John and I sit down to discuss how to love the church. This is a casual conversation examining Paul's words in 1 Timothy 3, 14-16. And we aimed at remaining positive and biblical and hopeful. But when we went to edit, we noticed a subtle cynicism creeping into our conversation. It seemed that even though John and I have positive feelings and beliefs and both work at churches, we couldn't help turn a blind eye to the scandals and the difficulties in the local church. So we ended our conversation by reflecting on the words of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, pastor, and spy during World War II, and how he might advise us on how to love the church in 2022. Whatever we say about loving the church, let me just encourage us in this. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus still loves the church. He loves the church in its many forms and its many imperfections. And thanks again, everyone, for your support. I'm grateful to Austin, one of our listeners and friends, with a shout out this past week after the episode on trauma. He said, this was one of the best episodes thus far. Thanks again, Austin. And now back to the show. Do you have friends who've stopped going to church? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. I have. How do you how, how do you address that? How, well, how do you even talk about it? Do you talk about it? Is it a topic to avoid? Typically, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm. I'm kind of a challenger type. So, mm. uh, but I, I try to just ask good questions about it. You know, um, you know, just I, I try to ask empathetic questions. Hey, you know, did the church hurt you or? Or uh, is there some resentment there for you? Or, or just tell me about what happened. Yeah. And, and maybe through some of that therapeutic talk, 
some people can maybe see some of the lies that they're telling themselves about the church, but mm. a lot of people have been hurt by the church. So it is a sensitive topic. I like how you're talking about there's a therapeutic conversation that happens. And I want to, um, you know, uh, do our best to um, kind of table that side of it and have a theological conversation so that people who listen can really make uh, a decision with the Lord about where they are with the church. So let's, let's get into it and look at what Jesus said. This is a, a really important uh, theology moment or biblical moment for Jesus. Matthew 21, 12 through 17. John, can you read the passage? Yeah, yeah. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they are indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him, yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany where he spent the night. You know, one of the main themes that we want to drive deep into the local church and biblical theology is the church is intended to be um, a people who, not a place where. Jesus' intention is that the church is not a place where, but a people who. It's not a place where, but a people who. Now, what we mean by that is that the church is not a place where we get goods and religious services for ourselves. And Jesus was angry and upset because uh, he went to the temple and it was just become this place to sell little things for the offering. And instead, it's supposed to be about people, people who pray, uh, people who need compassion, like we see in this passage. So the church isn't a place where it's a people who. Um, let's just kind of talk about the place where and how we see in the evangelical church, how the church has turned into a place where. Um, John, any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the temptation uh, for for the pastors that you know that good, good kids care, good teaching, and good worship will draw in Americans, right? Like people will eat that up at church. So if you have that, you'll have a very thriving well, you won't have a thriving church, but you'll have a lot of people in your seats. And so um, I, I think, you know, when well, I back up, you won't have yeah. thriving discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. But you'll have attendance. You'll have attendance. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it will be that that that's where we get the frustrated Christians are hypocrites thing from because there's poor discipleship in the church and all they're doing is going to church on Sundays. And then you meet people who call themselves Christians and they're not the best people. And then culture looks at us and goes, well, I'm, I'm not really into that. So anyways, that's a, an aside. We sometimes think the church is this consignere service where we just show up and we get yeah. all of our spiritual needs met when we want, how we want. Yeah. Uh, drop our kids off, get good worship, get good preaching, get an inspiration, inspirational message, yeah. sit in comfortable seats, and then we walk out and then we're, yeah. we're happy. A lot of people uh, probably don't see anything wrong with that. We have been taught by Burger King that the customer gets what the yeah. customer wants. Yeah, I think what's been a minute on that, is it wrong? Is it a moral wrong? I don't think it is. It's not a necessarily morally wrong thing. I think what we're saying, though, is that it's not the essence of what Jesus' heart is for yeah. why we're motivated to belong to a community. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's 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 the, it's almost the opposite of what you said, right? Like, like it's a people who, not a place where. Well, if it's about the building, then it's a place where. Mm-hmm. If it's about the people and being in Christian community and and trying to love each other and support each other and carry one another's burdens, then it's a people who. According to a large study by Gallup in 2020, about 48% of Americans attend church every week in America. That may seem like a lot, but it was once 70% of Americans in just the year 2000. In 22 years, nearly 22% of Americans have stopped worshiping in a local church. How come? Could it be from the misunderstanding of what the ecclesia means, what the church really is all about? Um, Let's look at 1 Timothy 3.15. This is going to be our grounding passage for the rest of our conversation. Although I hope to come to you soon, Paul is speaking to Timothy. I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Jesus appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. There are three P words that I organized around this, this, this passage that describe the church in its essence as a people who. The first is that it's God's household, and that is the idea of people. And the Greek word here in God's household is oikos, which means family. Um, when we think about family, we think about belonging. We think about identity. You know, our deepest identity is formed from our families, who we think ourselves are and how we feel about ourselves. And the church is to be a place or excuse me, a people, a community. See, it's ingrained in my language too. Uh, It's supposed to be a community of people who live like family and a a people who can find their deepest identity as a child of God in. Um, Man, I get like kind of shivers when I think about that. One another word that came to me was acceptance too. It's mm-hmm. it's a place where uh, people can feel accepted. Um, so a belonging, identity, acceptance, a place where you can be yourself. Mm-hmm. Family, family. You don't work. You don't strive for it. It is you belong. And and I guess what's implied in there too is an inclusiveness as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Like the church should be incredibly inclusive of people. Yeah, I, I mean I think that when I hear that I get a little triggered. Yeah. I, get, I go, well, what do you mean by that, John? <laughs> like, <laughs> As it came out of my mouth, I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> let's reel that back in for a moment. <laughs> let's not assume we know what we're, uh, that we know what we're, what we both, we're both on the, on the same, what that means. Uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. I think everybody should be invited to the church. And when I said inclusiveness, what I was thinking along with the lines of acceptance is um, – there should never be someone that's too weird or too strange that they can't be a part of our community. Mm. And that's kind of what I meant by inclusiveness. So uh, every now and then, you know, in high school, right. Or outside in the world, you might be like, Oh, that guy, right. Our, our extra grace required people where we go, Oh man, I don't want to invite that guy to the party. Well, you got to invite that guy to the party at church. Right. And that's part of us learning how to love people. Yeah. Uh, even if we don't understand them or we think they're strange. Um, one of the things that we know in our world is that it wants all the benefits. This is an anti-rightism. It, want, it wants all the benefits and all of the fruit of what the Christian faith 
offers without actually making Jesus their king. So when it talks about acceptance and the world has a definition of acceptance, the definition of acceptance in the church looks a little different sometimes. It doesn't mean everything goes. It doesn't mean everything, every behavior is accepted. We know that there are character guidelines. There's, there's community ideas, you know, all of that. But in the essence of inclusion is the foundation of being in Christ. That when a person puts their faith in Jesus, it should be a place of, of, of acceptance where we know if Christ accepts us in the cross, we are his beloved. That's our deepest identity. Then in our struggles and in our, our time in community, we need to guard against judgment and guard against condemnation. Yeah. And Jesus says the same judgment we use towards others will be turned towards us. And we need to equally promote holiness in the lives of each other while at the same time accepting this is a struggle in this person's life. But in Christ, Jesus has said there's no condemnation. Uh, I think we have a lot of room to grow in. We have a lot of room to grow in. I do. Yeah. That's it. It's hard. It's hard being family, dude. It's very hard being a family. It's very hard not judging people. Mm -hmm. I judge my own family. (laughs) (laughs) It's like my literal family. We all do. Yeah, We judge people nonstop all day. All day. It's just kind of human nature. Uh, Second part of this passage, he says, which is the church of the living God. And Paul now is hinting at um, the, the, the living presence of God in the church. The temple, which Jesus, you know, was at in that passage in Matthew, was the place where the Holy Spirit dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And once a year, a priest could go in there and would uh, make a sacrifice and God's Spirit would be there at the Ark of the Covenant. Um, And now in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. Jesus said in John 14, um, I will ask the Father and the Father will send you the Spirit who will be with you and will be in you. So the Spirit of God isn't in the temple in a place, he now actually dwells in his people, in us. And so Paul says, the church is the church of the living God. It's marked by the spirit of God living in his people. And that means that we have a tangible power and evidence of God's presence living us. We, we ought to reflect that there is a tangible influence and power that lives and resides in our lives that the world knows and sees as marked, marked differently, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if there's a lot of, a lot more to say there, but the third one I think is a, is a big one. And he says the pillar of truth and foundation or f- pillar and foundation of the truth. So the third mark of a good church is that it, that it's, that has the pillar of God's word and um, the scriptures that God has given us the gospel, the gospels and about Jesus as the foundation of what we teach and live off of. And a healthy church is one that doesn't have hot takes from some, you know, pastor that's like super cool. Uh, a good biblical church is one that is, relies on and is founded on God's word and the teachings of Jesus. So here's the three P's of a good church. It's defined by God's people, God's presence in the Holy Spirit, and then finally the pillar of truth founded on God's word and the gospel. Um, that's a very different idea than it's a cool place that I go to with great facilities, great worship great, you know, kids care. It's marked in a, in a different way. Sometimes this has been a tension for me where it's like, we have a church that has great worship and great kids care and great teaching. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. It's just not, it shouldn't be our sole focus. And, and I don't, and I don't believe it is. Um, but churches always have to keep, 
keep that in mind yeah. that it's not about the product, even though we want to, I work at a church. I want to do my job with excellence. Yeah. Strive right? for excellence is the, is the principle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we don't want anyone to feel condemned because they go to a church with those things. It's just, it's bigger than just consuming those things. It's, it's about community. Years ago, I started to binge read the works of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Diedrich was a pastor, theologian, and spy during World War II. He lived in Nazi Germany and he fought against communism, the Holocaust, and giving in to state-run religion. His most famous work, The Cost of Discipleship, correctly depicts the costs of following Jesus, but at the same time depicts the cost to a person and society and the church for not following Jesus. Diedrich is one of my heroes. In fact, I tried to name my son after him. All to say, I didn't get my way, and I'm glad my son's name is now Cole, but I still admire Bonhoeffer. While in prison and waiting execution from the Nazis, Bonhoeffer wrote, The church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ and exist for others. So Bonhoeffer wrote Life Together during World War, during the kind of the, the Nazi takeover of Germany. And he's hiding out with these other Christians and they're doing life together, literally. And he writes this book about Christian community. Uh, it's an amazing book. We highly recommend it. But he says this, um, he says uh, in chapter one about community, the physical presence of other Christians should be a source of joy and strength, a sign of God's gracious presence. But we often forget this because it's a gift we receive every day. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Now, here's a man who was facing Nazi Germany. And this is what came up for him was the joy that they got to, to actually be in community. Um, just taking Bonhoeffer's, you know, idea, we just take that for granted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we might even find it to be uh, an obligation. Or a, or a nuisance, you know, as opposed to, wow, there's there's other places in the world where, where you can't do church. You know, you can't come together uh, with other Christians. You will be persecuted for it. Mm -hmm. We get to do that all the time. If we, if we were persecuted, like in ways that they are in Afghanistan and in China, we would probably appreciate the essence of the people more than we do now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we would, we would, we would value the fact that we get to be with other people who believe the same things we do, believe in the same God, believe in Jesus Christ and people who will pour into us. But oftentimes we take that for granted. And, and I just think about how fortunate I am to go to church and, and get poured into by other people mm -hmm. and just know that they're going to, they're going to love on me. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that's awesome. That is awesome. I think one of the goals that I'm sensing from this podcast episode is that we would learn to love the church more, like love the people more. Yeah. And, and ask God to help us love the people of the church more. It's so easy, I think, especially in this cultural age we're in where we just deconstruct everything and we find all the things we don't like yeah. or all the things that we feel like aren't serving our needs. And then we think, how can I get rid of those things? Yeah. How do I change those things or should I leave as opposed to, well, 
maybe I'm supposed to just be okay with this. Maybe I'm just supposed to love people through this. Maybe this is God's grace to help me love other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other quotes from Bonhoeffer? What's your, what's your next one? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I like this one. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may ever be so honest. We need to let our dream die and embrace the reality of our community. We should be grateful that we have a community and never complain about it. Oh my goodness, dude. Thanks, Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer. <laughs> let the dream of community die. What does he mean by that, you Boom. think? It's like, I think what, you know, what I think he's saying is, hey, this is the church you've been given. This is your community. Let your dream about what you you think community should be die because this is what God has given you. Yep. This is this is this is what actually is. Love reality. Don't love your your ideal. Yeah. 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 And and when we start going, I need to change everything about this, well then then we start looking at people like we need to change them. How do I love someone if I feel like I need to change them? How do I love the church if I feel like I need to change it all the time? I'm always thinking about how to manipulate it into what I want it to be. Yep. It's a negative view of, of seeing it. So this goes back even to like last ep or two episodes ago on our first uh, episode of season three, where we talked about what is a really resilient disciple. And we, we, we encourage people to find someone they can confess to. And I think, you know, if you look at this quote and he says at the end, we should be grateful that we have a community and never complain about it. I don't know if everyone listening values having even Christian community. I think people nowadays say it's just me and Jesus. Um, this misses a little bit of a hot take. Can we just we just, just go there? Can we I'm just go all, there. I'm always for it. So you know Peter, me? James, and John get called out by Jesus to follow him in Luke chapter five, and he says, "Drop your nets and follow me." Peter does not just follow Jesus and not connect with James and John. It's Peter, James, and John. It's all of them. It's a community of people who follow Jesus together. It's not just so. We love you, audience. We love you, we, and we're speaking this to ourselves because we realize that there's tension in loving the church. And one of the tensions is it is so much easier to be in isolation and to just do you and Jesus. But the reality of the Christian life is it was meant to do it in community with people that are hard to love sometimes. And the reality is you, me, John, we're all hard to love as well. Like I'm, I'm hard to love. Yeah. John, you're hard to love. I'm very hard to love. And, it, and just the reality, like, man, you know, looking back at myself and, and taking the log out of my own eye. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the thing. I, I need to strive to love you just like I need you to strive to love me. Yep. Right. We're, this is a mutual obligation. We're, we're doing our best to love one another and failing constantly. <laughs> yep. And, and in so many ways, that's what the church is. Okay. My next one, this is yeah. opposite. This is actually about I being got, alone. Yes. Yes. Uh, Bonhoeffer says chapter three, Many people seek fellowship because they're afraid to be alone. Oh my goodness, keep going. The person who comes into fellowship because he's running away from himself is misusing it for the sake of diversion. No matter how spiritual this diversion may appear, he is not seeking community, but distraction. Let him who cannot be alone be aware of community, for he will only harm himself and the community. But let him who is not in community beware of being alone. For if you scorn the fellowship of the brethren, you reject the call of Jesus. So much here to kind of unpack. What do you hear? 
It's it's extroverts beware and introverts beware. Boom. That's so good. That's such a good way of saying it. Right. That's such a good way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, the things that I love that I think we miss is that what we do in solitude directly affects what happens when we're in community. Right. So if I'm not yeah. doing my time in solitude, then I'm doing a disservice to the community around me. I can't properly love my community without properly uh, focusing on my relationship with the Lord. Equally, though, if you're not doing community, the time alone isn't going to be as yeah. rewarding. And I, I think it goes back to what we are looking for, what God is looking for, not we are looking for, what God is looking for from us is seven day living discipleship. Mm-hmm. That every day we're living as a follower, an apprentice of Jesus, which means solitude time and community time. And if we're looking for the community to meet the needs that only God can meet us in solitude and with him, we're going to misuse the community equally. If we think that God alone can meet all the needs we have without a community, we're probably misunderstanding the world prayer and solitude with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, if you're one of the people who, uh, the only time you do any, any, you know, discipleship things, any church things, any Christian things is when you go to church, Mm -hmm. right. Then, then there's a problem there right? You're, you're, you're seeking distraction. But on the other hand, if you're one of the people who you stay away from community and and you only focus on yourself, well, then you are, you're rejecting the call of Jesus to love others. Yep. All right, man. Uh, let's get into some practicals. This is, we could do this for like an hour. This could be another episode. This is good. (laughs) All to say, if you have never read life together, pick it up. It's worth, it's worth the 130 page read. Um, let's get into some practicals here. Uh, how can someone belong to a community, a local church. Number one, we, we just want to encourage you, if you don't have a local church, to find it, find the community, assess it through the lens of, uh, do I connect with these people? Do they proclaim the gospel, the pillar of truth? And do they, you know, have a sense that it's not about, you know, a facility, but about the presence of God. Paul in this first Timothy passage finishes up by saying this, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on the world and was taken up in glory. That kind of, um, th- that last little part is the first Christian hymn in the church. It's like a first little Christian theology of Jesus. What Paul is saying is a healthy church is one that focuses their godliness and attention to Jesus. And so as you're looking for a home church, ask yourself, do they lift up and proclaim the name of Jesus and do they help me be sourced in and find contentment in who I am as a follower of Jesus? Um, that, and so that's why he says, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs. Beyond all question. like Godliness isn't coming from your effort. Godliness isn't coming from the next podcast, as great as maybe this may be, or as bad as it is. Godliness doesn't come from um, you know, uh, the next hot take. Godliness comes from Jesus. He's the source. And a church that you want to find is one that is sourced and focuses on Jesus. Um, Step two, um, lean in and get involved. Like just go to it. Go to stuff. Go to the intro night. Go to the welcome dinner. Go to the first launch of the groups. And if you find people that you don't love, uh, don't think that just because you don't love them, God's saying don't go there. You know, it may actually be a, a, an invitation to deeper with journey with Jesus. Um, but I do definitely think that you will find people in relationships that are organic and natural and important to you. 
John, thoughts on that? I was just thinking, you know, I remember when I first started going to church, I'd just become a Christian, and God always seemed to put me in the groups with the people that I didn't want to be in groups with. Do you think that they were thinking, I don't want to be in a group with this guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they were. And, I think so, um, too, man. It's just so funny. So too for me. The Lord would do uh, that, and I knew what I figured. It was a pattern after a while. I was like, fine, God, I get it. You yeah. know, it's like, yep, you're going to love this person. Yeah. So. It was like six times in a row. Like there would be 40 people to choose from. I'd get the one guy I didn't want to be in the group with, mm. you know. Mm. He'd like be my co-leader or something. And and I'm like, okay, I got to strive to love this person. He's like, can we be best friends? Like hang out all the time? <laughs> You're like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not ready for that level of sanctification. Well, that, the, if, I mean, honestly, if someone said that, I'd be like, you're looking for a community in a way that your alone time with Jesus needs to meet. You know, like yeah. that's the tension is I can't meet every need that exists in the, yeah. and if people come to the church looking for like my best friend, that's a slippery slope. I feel like there's this, this, the tension that Bonhoeffer describes. Yeah. You're trying to fill that, that hole in your heart, that void yeah. with people instead of with God. Last takeaway, uh, last practical steps, and then we'll talk about just takeaways from the show today, is um, make sure when you go to a local church to differentiate the different environments where the people come together. So like, and what the expectations are there. So like a Sunday morning service is intended by Paul to be about focusing on worship of Jesus, um, evangelism even in our modern day churches. Uh, it's supposed to be orderly, Paul says, and not crazy and out of, out of place. Paul says that that's why sometimes um, he discourages speaking in tongues and the prophetic because it's not orderly. So, you know, when it comes to a Sunday morning worship service, have a different, check your expectations for that and then have a different set of expectations when you go into the home group and you're there with a group of people in a smaller setting. Yeah. You know, cause there, cause the, the model in the Bible is there's the, there's the table, which we're at today at the podcast. There's the table, which is like the home fellowship um, and then there is the synagogue, which is like the local church. And then there was the temple, which was like this big mega, you know, hub. Right. And so the idea is there's the home fellowship, there's your, your local church. And then there's probably these regional gatherings of the church coming together for worship nights. I think about what, what Todd Proctor has been doing in Orange County the last several years with these one gatherings where everyone comes together, kind of this like big environment to come together as the church, the un the unified body of Christians. So I think having different expectations for each environment helps protect your heart from cynicism. Yeah. What, what would you add? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's only, you know, in a Sunday service, there's an hour and 15 minutes, you know, we oftentimes we want four hours of stuff to fit in an hour and 15, Yep. you know, and, and, and that just can't happen. And, and, you know, the Sunday service doesn't exist to cater to our needs. Yeah. You know, and so I, I love how you said that there's different spaces in the church to, to fulfill those needs and, and to just know that and to seek that. So we always say, it, you know, gather, grow, go is, is our thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yep. you know, our gathering together is our Sunday service. Our growing is our life group and our going is, is serving the community, doing evangelism. Yep. Yep. Um, takeaways from today, John, what are you taking away from this conversation today? Yeah, I'm going to, I was personally convicted by the, uh, solitude part. I am an extrovert. Uh, um, usually where I go is I'm going to do like four nights, you know, out of the week at the church, you know, doing all the, all the community stuff. And I love that. Um, you know, usually the temptation for me is that I feel pulled. I'm a little bit of a people pleaser, so I, I feel pulled 
by uh, uh, wanting to do all the things. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded that I can't do anything effectively if I'm not getting my time with the Lord, if I'm not getting solitude, which for me, mm-hmm. I think at this point stage in my life is really a once a week Sabbath yep. that I spend with God and yep. rest. Yep. Um, thank you for all that you do to serve the church, by the way. I mean, you are using your singleness in a way that really honors the kingdom and your time. Uh, so thank you for that. But, but you yeah. do need to be away with Jesus. You know? Yeah. Um, and uh, so for me, my takeaway uh, for this time, I think the goal of the spirit of God is to grow our love, grow our love for God, grow our love for other people. He's going to put people in our lives, in our home groups, in our life groups, uh, in our connect groups that will uh, stretch us in love and, and not to run away from that, but to see that as an extension of his sanctification in our life. In 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8, the Apostle Peter says this, As you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house. In this passage, Peter uses a metaphor that we are like a building and each person is like a stone being fitted together to be built up into the people of God. As you consider what it means to love the church, you belong. That's the picture here. Every person has a place. Every person is important. Every person is significant. And Jesus is the cornerstone, the one who holds it all together. Our prayer is that you who are in the church would continue to grow in your love for the church, for the things of God, for the people, for his presence, and for the pillar of truth. In Jesus' name, amen.